Cool. Well, if you have a Bible today, let's open up to Revelation chapter 2. As we continue our study of the seven churches of Revelation, and you know, this is such a, an amazing section of Scripture. I don't know if you have ever heard the, the, the teaching or the concept that the seven churches in Revelation are actually the seven uh, time periods of church history. And so it's interesting, the first church had left their first love. And so some actually believe, I don't know if you've ever heard this before, but some actually believe that that's in reference to the Jewish church, that maybe the Jewish believers, how they left their first love. And then you get into the church of Smyrna, the persecuted church, and a lot of people will tell you that's the, the first century church, you know, the first couple of hundred years of church history. Man, they loved the Lord and they suffered tremendous persecution, you know, and so some will see it that way. And then when you get into the fourth century and you get into the emperor uh, Constantine, um, maybe you've studied a history and it's fascinating uh, what happened in Rome, how at one point Christianity was illegal but then supposedly Constantine had a vision and there was a cross and a flag. And, and so what he did was he made Christianity legal and it eventually became the state religion. And so from about the 4th century to the 7th century, uh, you have the church of Pergamos. And uh, it was a compromising church. Uh, interesting when you study church history. But now we come to the church of Thyatira, and a lot of people would define it as the, the corrupt church. And that begins probably about the 7th century to the 16th century. And many people will identify, uh, like I said last week, Constantine, the Roman Catholic Church, the beginnings of it. But then when you get into Thyatira, we're talking about when the Catholic Church really really began to rule and reign and just the idolatry, the immorality, the spiritual adultery. And there's a, there's a lot more to it. But, but when you begin to look at church history, you see this. Next, we're going to look at Protestantism. And sure, it began well, but eventually it was dead. And, and then you're going to look at the church that gets raptured and the lukewarm church. And so anyways, different ways to look at it. Uh, but today's study is definitely fascinating, and I think there's a lot to glean from this. And so we begin, as we do in all the other churches, with the Christians and, and then the Christ. Look at verse 18. It says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. And so remember, and I'm sorry to sound redundant, but just in case someone's here and they haven't been to the past studies, the angel is probably the pastor, uh, the leadership, the messengers. And so Jesus would send his message to these guys so they could tell the rest of the church. And I was thinking about this, like in life, you know, uh, and I know this is a silly illustration, but let's just say you're a really, really good baseball player, but there's room for improvement. We see that kind of sometimes in the churches that are described here in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. You might be here today and you're thinking, well, I'm pretty good, Manny. You know, I got it all together. I, I, I love the Lord. I serve the Lord. Yeah, but is there any room for improvement? 
that that's what we need to listen to the voice of the holy spirit we're living in some crazy days and we need to be strong christians we need to be worshiping christians lord if there's any area of my life that's not right show me god and so he's writing to the angel so that the angel can tell the church and so that the church obviously would respond and so it's the, the Christians, the, the leadership, and then the fellowship, this church that was there in Thyatira. Now, Thyatira would be next on the postal route, and so the letter would go out. And it's interesting. Jesus has a lot to say to this church. As a matter of fact, this is the longest letter out of all the seven churches. But in, from a human perspective, it's probably the least significant city. Uh, if Thyatira was noted for anything... It would be the numerous trade guilds that it had there, according to archaeological and historical finds. They had associations for weavers and tanners and dyers and and potters. Uh, The city wasn't much politically, as we've seen in the other cities, but commercially there was a booming industry there. Uh, It wasn't necessarily a great metropolis, but it was a great commercial center. William Barclay, he said this, From the inscriptions which have been found in the neighborhood, it is clear that Thyatira possessed more trade guilds than any other town of its size in Asia. Uh, A guild is an association of craftsmen or merchants. Uh, They often have considerable power. Uh, It's different but similar to what we would maybe see as a trade union. And so uh, there in Thyatira, it's interesting, in Acts 16, if you guys were to read the story when the Lord founded the church through Paul the Apostle in Philippi, he met a, a lady there, a beautiful lady named Lydia. And remember how Lydia was a seller of purple cloth? And so she uh, had a, uh, probably a, a, a successful business. She was there in Thyatira where they would get the dye, they would dye the clothing, and then she would travel to Philippi to sell it. And uh, Lydia, uh, she's really, it's interesting, even the goddess Lydia there in Thyatira is a big thing. And so the reason I bring that up is another side note part of this section of scripture is you're going to see two women, I think, that are highlighted in this section. Uh, One is Lydia, because of this connection we have with Thyatira, because of the connection that Lydia has with that city, the name And the other is Jezebel. And so we're going to talk about that today and the contrast between the two women. And so you have the Christians there, the angel and the fellowship. And then you have the Christ. And notice how he identifies himself. Uh, First of all, in verse 18, notice again, these things says the Son of God. The Son of God. And so he reveals, first of all, his nature. Now, the Son of God is a phrase found 46 times in the Bible, but only once in the book of Revelation. And, and the Lord here, as he's writing to this church, as he's speaking to this church, he wants them to know, uh, to acknowledge his deity, to seriously consider the fact that this is not, and I tell you guys this all the time, this is not a message from a passing prophet, a typical teacher, a random rabbi. This is a message from the Son of God. This is a message from God. You know, and and I know some people, they really like Jesus. They're like, I love Jesus. He's so nice. He's so sweet. He's such a nice uh, little lamb. But the moment you start talking about the lion, 
side of him. It's, it's kind of sad, and, and I will say this, and it can happen to anybody, but a lot of young adults, they get turned off by that. They, I don't want to hear the, the lion. I don't want to hear about the judgment. You know, you guys are hell, uh, fire, and brimstone. You guys are doom and gloom. Uh, and we're starting to hear it even on the news today. You know how they're ca- classifying us as Christians? Doomsdayers. And so it's having a negative connotation. But, but, but please, if you love the Lord and if you love the Bible and if you love Jesus, you have to understand both sides of who he is. He's the son of man, yes, but he's also the son of God. He's a, he's a lamb, yes, but he's also the, a lion, the lion of the tribe of Judah. And if I didn't tell you about the lion, I'd be lying to you, okay? So I need to tell you about this place called hell, about this thing called discipline, about the calling to holiness. We don't mess around. And so when he's revealing himself to them, he he reveals himself as the son of God. With Notice he says next, who has eyes like a flame of fire. Eyes like flame of fire. And so we have his nature and then we have his knowledge. And he sees all. He sees everyone. He sees everything. Jesus searches the souls of the saints. He sees every chamber in the church. He scrutinizes us with his eyes of omniscience. Look at verse 23, if you would. In verse 23 of the same chapter, he says, I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and the hearts. He searches. He sees. Literally in the Greek language, it, it, he says, I, I search and I see literally the minds and the kidneys. And so to them in those days, that meant that God sees all our thoughts and God knows all our emotions. And so with those eyes of fire, understand you can't hide from him. That's why it's so important that you be real. Some people, what they do is they sin when they think nobody's watching or they fantasize with these thoughts uh, that are sometimes lustful or sometimes uh, hateful. Uh, they have these emotional ups, ups and downs. Why? Because they, get, they take their eyes off Jesus. And so what the Lord is saying here is, I see all these things. And of course, I, I, I'm pretty sure we know that, but I wonder sometimes if we live that. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 13, it says, There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Job chapter 31 and verse 4, it says, Does he not see my ways and count all my steps? I'm just curious, any, any of you guys ever hear uh, your, now because with our technology and our phones and our watches, do you ever check your steps to see how many steps you've done that day? Any of you guys ever do that? I do. And they say they're supposed to have 10,000 steps every day. My wife always beats me though. But I think it's because her legs are shorter. Even though I'm short, she's a little shorter. <laughs> but anyways... Um, you know, we count our steps now with our phones and, and, and watches, um, but God sees every single step. We can't hide from him. We're naked before him. 
Uh, I know part of that is because he loves us and he can't take his eyes off of us. But I pray that we would know this, that it's something to change us. Sometimes you get these these people, these uh, Christians, and the way that they, they talk to their family and belittle them or berate them, their tone of voice. Uh, and they just think, well, that's okay, I'm at home. And they're so different at church than they are at home. They, for whatever reason, they think that, well, you know, now I got to kind of put on the show. When God, he sees everything, always. He has these eyes that are like flames of fire. Proverbs 5.21, he says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. And so Jesus here, he reveals his nature, he reveals his knowledge, and then he reveals his necessity, believe it or not, in that he has feet that are like fine brass. Now, I don't know if this is true or not. I remember a while ago, somebody told me that the first thing a girl looks at is a guy's shoes. Is that true? Okay, all right. Some of you guys are saying yes. Some of you guys say no. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I will say this, that when you look at the shoes or the feet of Jesus, they're like fine brass. And you might wonder, well, what, what's that all about? Well, in the Bible, brass is symbolic of judgment. When you look at the Old Testament and they built the, the tabernacle and then eventually the temple, it's interesting because uh, the, the, the brazen altar, it was all made of brass and all the utensils that were used therein where the sacrifices were, where the, the, the animals received the judgment, it was all brass. You know, when the children of Israel sinned and the Lord said, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to make a brass serpent and put it up on a pole. That way when people look at the brass serpent, they'll be saved. That brass serpent is symbolic, Jesus said in John chapter 3, of himself. How he received all our sins and he was judged for us. It's interesting, when you study the temple... And you look at all the different, uh, all, they, they'll tell you how much gold was used. You know, they'll tell you how much uh, silver was used. But when they tell you about the brass, the bronze, they say we couldn't number it because it was too much. That's the judgment that Jesus received because of our sins. Now, one of the things that you have to understand about God, because I know a lot of people, they're like, man, I don't like the doctrine of hell. I don't like the, that doctrine of, you know, him, you know, disciplining or judging you Christians. And even within, like, I think the camp of Christianity, you have some who, whatever for whatever reason, they get turned off by that. But but you, it's because of who you are. You're not holy, holy, holy. But he is. And, and God is holy, it says in Isaiah 6. So what we find in the Bible, it's his overriding attribute. He can't allow sin to succeed. He must judge sin. Otherwise, it would violate his nature. And so when people have a problem with that, what they have a problem with really is the holiness of God. 
And so when Jesus reveals himself to this church, uh, it's interesting how he does it with these feet of fine brass. Another thing I thought that was interesting is um, it's not fists of fury, it's feet of fury. And um, I don't know, I was reading the other day in the book of Romans how it says that when people preach the gospel, it says how beautiful are the feet of those who bring glad tidings, who preach the gospel. Now, um, why doesn't it say how beautiful are the lips of those who preach the gospel? Why doesn't it say how beautiful is the heart of those who preach the gospel? Well, the reason it says how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel is because they go. They go and they share. They go and they reach out. They're not just sitting in their life, watching television, living their own, you know, whatever, comfort zone. They go. You know, like, it was kind of cool. Daniel was praying earlier uh, about the tracks that were given out. You know, him and his family, they go and... Even in COVID, they're giving out tracts. I'm sure some people are like, no, but hey, we'll just do it. How, how beautiful are the feet of those who go and preach the gospel? So um, when Jesus has feet that are fine brass, what that means is that he's going. Or what that means is that he's coming. He's traveling. He's on his way. He's at the door. And he will judge all the wickedness of this world. But the Bible says that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And this is where he will start. And so he's addressing this church uh, as the Christ uh, so holy in his deity, in his uh, judgment, and, and he commends the church as he does with the other churches. Notice in verse 19, uh, the six things that he mentioned. He says, I, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. And so um, I think it's kind of cool going through these things. And if you wanted to, you can just gloss over them and say, well, yeah, let's get to the other stuff, the bad stuff that they need to improve on. But no, we can actually learn from this. Uh, the good things there. First of all, the works. Uh, the Greek word refers to a good deed or action. It re frequently occurs in an ethical sense. And so you're doing something uh, very ethical. Uh, Jesus says, I know your works. And then it gets better. He says, I know your love. Uh, the Greek word is agape in reference to that divine love from above. They had it. Some of uh, the people in the church, they don't even have that. In all reality, it's like, man, how long have you been a Christian now and you still don't love everyone? I mean, don't tell me you love God and you hate your brother. I mean, let it at least begin in our mind to understand that if you call yourself a Christian you're going to have to bear fruit. You're going to have to love God and love everyone else, even those that are different than you. That they had the works, they had the love. Not only did they have moral fruit, they also had ministry fruit. The, the word service here is the Greek word diakono. It's usually translated ministry in the Bible. 
And diacono, that's where we get our English word deacon. And it speaks of someone who runs errands or who executes the commands of another. And so, um, you know, sometimes we'll do that. You know, sometimes we'll go to Smart and Final or Sam's or we, you know, go to the sporting goods store. Whatever the case may be, we're buying stuff. You're wondering the sporting goods store. Well, that you know, the canopies. You know, we'll go, we'll run errands for the Lord, right? Um, the service that we have, so beautiful. I, I have a feeling, though, that some people think, well, that's enough. I remember I had an uncle. I love my uncle. Um, but he thought that he was okay with God because he gave $50 a week. But he was having an affair. But I give $50 a week. Well, I'm good with God because I'm involved in ministry. You know, I, I generally speaking, love I love people. You know, I look at the list right here. Uh, the next one is faith. This is how we're saved. I mean, he said, you guys have faith. That's a huge thing. This is how you're saved. This is how you're sanctified. This is how our walk with God begins and our walk with God continues. 2 Corinthians uh, 5, 7 says we walk by faith. And so they had all this stuff. Uh, they had patience. The Greek word hupomone, it means to stay under something heavy, or, uh, patiently endure the tribulations. In the New Testament, it's characteristic of someone who is not swerved from his or her deliberate purpose and loyalty to the Lord, even in the midst of the greatest trials and suffering. You know, when others would quit, and many have, many have quit, but, but you know, they were still there. They just kept going. You know, I was reading about some interesting uh, individuals uh, throughout church history. Maybe you've heard of uh, Adoniram Judson. He was a missionary to Burma. And uh, he was the first evangelical missionary to set foot on their soil. Some say he was the first American missionary. I'm not sure how all that works. But here's a man, when he went to the country, when he arrived there in Rangoon Harbor in 1913, he was met by an official who told him the best thing he and his young wife could do was to go back on the ship and go somewhere else because he was neither needed nor wanted in Burma. Imagine that kind of welcome. But he stayed, but it cost him dearly. He labored for seven years without a single convert. He was unjustly beaten and thrown in prison. He eventually buried his wife who died, his daughter who died. He suffered a nervous breakdown and had no family or friends to support him. But he did not quit. He translated the Bible into Burmese and endured eventually to become known as the father from a human perspective of the Burmese church. And if you were to travel to Burma, you would still see the fruit of his labor today. Another man that I thought was rather impressive regarding uh, enduring, you know, the, the, the difficulties is a man by the name of William Carey. You know, he was a shoe cobbler and he became the father of modern missions. And he had many reasons to stay at home in England, but he had more reasons to follow the Lord. He had many difficulties and many reasons to quit, like insufficient funds, a wife who was mentally ill, the tragic death of their eight-year-old son, 
and the warehouse fire of 1812 that destroyed his grammar books, his polygot dictionary, and the only copy of the Bible which he had labored years to translate. So what did he do? Did he bury himself in his grief and remorse? Absolutely not. That's what most of us would have done. But what William Carey did was he said, I want to be known as a slow but steady worker. He knelt down and he thanked God that he had the strength to start over again. And he did. And his second translation of the Bible, he said, was even more accurate than the first. And, and I tell you that to encourage you. Sometimes it seems like our whole world falls apart and things happen and it's going to happen. But we must have this characteristic of endurance through all the difficulties, even if it means at times that we have to start over again. He had uh, uh, this church had, had patience. And then it's interesting what Jesus says at the end of that verse that they even had more works. And so uh, the Greek language, it, it seems to indicate that not only were their works greater in quantity, but greater in quality. And so they looked good. There was good. And a lot of you here in me, in many churches, there is good. But the question is, is there bad? Is there cancer inside of what would look like a, a healthy body? And if there is, wouldn't you want to know it? Well, that's what Jesus shares with the church next in verse 20. We see the counsel to the rebellious. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you because you allowed that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So God is going to deal heavily with this church. They, first of all, have this teacher who is sharing this teaching. Um, they allowed this teacher to be there. They permitted her. They didn't restrain her. Um, Jezebel. Have you guys... How many of you heard of Jezebel? I'm curious. We've all kind of heard of Jezebel, right? Most parents don't name their daughters Jezebel, huh? <laughs> it has a, a she's not a bell, man. She, it's a, got a, a negative connotation, right? Um, she apparently taught this church to, you know, engage in sexual immorality and idolatry. And when you study the Bible, you can't escape it. Uh, we're talking about uh, things that can happen literally sexual immorality and uh, spiritually that whenever you put anyone or anything before God that you're guilty of idolatry. Now there may be some here who are who are practicing sexual immorality or maybe watching on live stream and the reason I say that is because it's a very common sin. It's very common. And Jesus said, if you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. Of course, that can happen to a man. It can happen to a woman. One of the things that breaks my heart is to see how much sexual sin is going on in the world. We don't see it because we're looking at the surface. But man, behind closed doors and in the hidden chambers of many hearts, 
I was tripping out um, on this guy, Jeffrey Epstein. I think that's his name. And just the, the hideousness, the demonic mind, the mentality of this man, you know, who was connected with many politicians, many princes, many uh, people who are celebrities and famous. There is a world. There is a darkness. There is this demonic realm that has a spirit of Jezebel. And the sexual immorality that takes place and the demonic things that are going on. This guy, Jeffrey Epstein, maybe some of you guys know his story. He ended up getting arrested eventually, but he would solicit, you know, sex for for 14-year-olds. And he would, you know, kind of set things up, you know, for other people to be part of. Uh, He was arrested and they say that he uh, committed suicide. I have a feeling that he probably was killed because he was connected to so many important so you know people in this world. I don't know for sure. I mean, here's a guy that that he made, he was a billionaire. I mean, it wasn't legal. I mean, on paper, he only uh, they say that he only died with about five hundred million, but all the underground stuff. Here is a man who is planning to. Uh, he was investing in, in technology to uh, impregnate. Uh, he wanted to impregnate 20 women at a time and uh, to start this, whatever, this new uh, breed. I mean, to me, when I start reading stuff like that, and I don't know a whole lot about it, I'll be honest. I think it's just, just so demonic. It's so demonic. And that, that's the spirit of Jezebel alive and well today. You know, if you're here and if you're engaging in pornography, you are dancing with demons. Guys, we kind of struggle with this. Don't look at girls. Don't take the double look because what that does is it it feeds the flesh and you're never satisfied. You know, some might come and they might tell you as a Christian, oh, it's okay, you know, as long as you love each other. You know, Jezebel was probably doing that. In those days, and we're talking about the guilds that they had there in Thyatira, uh, part of the whole practice of going to this, whatever, this union meeting is that you would go, you would worship their gods, and you would end the evening in an orgy. And so here was Jezebel telling them, that's okay. It's part of the culture. It's who we are. You know, when you read the story of Jezebel, and, and we don't have... A time to read the whole thing. Um, you start in First Kings chapter sixteen, and then you go all the way to Second Kings chapter nine. But listen to what it says in First Kings sixteen thirty one through thirty three. It says, and it came to pass as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the sons of Nebat, that he took as his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. And he went and served Baal and worshipped him. Then he set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. And Ahab made a wooden image. Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings who were before him. Think about that. You know, it says in 1 Kings 21:25 that there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. Now, 
I have to take advantage of this opportunity, or maybe I don't. Maybe I'll be sorry, but sometimes, you know, like we look at the Bible and we look at all these things that are going on, and we're man, there's so many bad men. There's so many bad men. Well, there's bad women too. There is. Uh, that, that Jezebel spirit uh, is just a terrible thing. Jezebel straight out manipulated, intimidated, contaminated, and dominated her husband. And sometimes you see some women like that, and it is so ugly. It is the spirit of Jezebel. You know, when you look at Ahab, I, I think in one sense, Ahab kind of had, you know, a heart maybe at times to do what was right. When you read about Ahab, he made alliances with the southern kingdom of Judah and their, their kings. He uh, yielded to the ministry of Elijah. He honored the word in that he wouldn't usurp that authority over Naboth because of what the Bible says. There was something a, a little decent in one sense uh, with Ahab. But he was wicked because he was weak. And that he allowed his wife, Jezebel, to rule over him in that sense. And so when you look at this, I don't know. Again, I'm just saying it's kind of cool for everybody to check their own heart. You know, as guys, are you you know one of these luster guys and stop it? Gals, are you one of these, you know, who wants to rule over? And I don't know. I think of sometimes like a... I'm back in the day like a Hillary Clinton or a Nancy Pelosi or someone that, you know, they, I think that in one sense, because of the fact that they don't cherish the lives of the unborn, to me, that's all it takes. And we could talk a lot about different types of politics, but for me, one of the most important things is the life of the child within the womb. But there is this Jezebel spirit that can dominate. And we have to be so careful. Uh, of course, it could be just as easily a man. But what we find is that what this is what the church was facing there in Thyatira. The, the sexual immorality, the Greek word is porneo. And we're going to see later they go hand in hand with idolatry. And it's spoken of later in Revelation 17 verse 2 and Revelation 18 as well. And so more than likely, the Christian was invited to these meetings and they were held in the temple of Apollo, for example. And Jezebel said it's okay and she would allow them or encourage the man to go. Maybe even using like a prophetic word, you know. Uh, you go ahead, the Lord says it's fine. And he fell into immorality and idolatry. The draw to the guilds and their meetings was powerful. No merchant or trader could hope to prosper or make money unless he was a member of these guilds. Nevertheless, Christians were expected to stand in the face of that kind of pressure. One ancient Christian named Tertullian, he wrote about Christians who made their living in trades connected to pagan idolatry. And a painter might find work in pagan temples or a sculptor might be hired to make a statue of a pagan god. And they would justify their actions by saying, this is my living, I must live. To which Tertullian said, must you live? I pray that we would know that 
you know, when you look at what the enemy can throw our way, uh, later on, he says that there are some who haven't known the depths of Satan, the depths of that darkness. And you know what I think of? How many of you here, uh, you've seen Star Wars, right? Okay, you got the, the, I don't know what they call it. What's the good side called? Although they call it the force, I think. Um, but then you have the dark side, right? I, I think that that's what was going on in this church. They, they thought they could have both. The depths of Satan. The depths of darkness. You know, what happened in the Catholic Church? Well, eventually in the Catholic Church, they said, uh, you know, um, it's okay for you to pray to saints. And so, you know, you pray to St. Christopher, whatever, the patron saint of traveling, or you pray to St. Jude. Uh, eventually, there were these apparitions, they say, of Mary. You know, Lady of Guadalupe, we have a church here in Almani named after her. Or the, the lady, our, our Lady of uh, Fatima. And what Mary would do is she would appear to people, and I think these apparitions were real, and she would tell them to pray the rosary. She would tell them to pray to her. What is that? You guys, please understand, we can't pray to anyone other than God. We don't pray through them. Because that's what they'll say. The Catholic Church will try to justify it. Sometimes you talk to Catholics and they're doing their best to try to, whatever, justify what they believe. Well, no, we're not saying pray to them. We're saying pray through them. And then they can pray you know, to God for you. But, but we don't get, I don't get down on my knees in front of somebody and say, hey, you know, will you pray for me? I mean, I don't do that. There's no mediators between God and man except for the man Christ Jesus. The Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5. So to me, the, the whole thing, I remember when I got saved, and man, God came into my life. I remember the very first thing, I love my aunt, I love my tia, but the very first thing she told me was, mijo, don't leave Mary. Don't leave Mary. There's that emotional attachment, huh? But what is Mary? I mean, all these people praying to Mary. I remember seeing one bumper sticker that says, if you can't, can't find God, look for his mother. Have you guys seen that? And so it's the spirit, this is satanic spirit of Jezebel. And anyone who prays to anyone other than God is committing spiritual adultery. And so we're going to see this whole thing about the Catholic Church. It was just so sad. Like I told you, from the 7th century forward, what they would do is they would, uh, they got rich. They got so rich through the indulgences. And let's just say you wanted to go to a party on Saturday night. You can actually go and pay the priest and he would give you what was called pre-forgiveness. And then you go and you sin and you think you're okay. Why? Because you paid the money. So there's that, that mentality. All these statues, all these idols, this is what we're talking about here. And the Lord said, man, I see that in the church. But let me just say this before we go, that it doesn't have to be a statue. I mean, remember I was telling you? They worship Rome. They worship Rome. Now, I love my country, but I don't worship my country. See, anything that you put before Jesus is an idol. 
anyone, anything. And that's why it's so important that we stay focused on him, lest we find ourselves like Thyatira, the, the corrupt church. We see, first of all, the teacher and then also the teachings, but then the time. Look at verse 21. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual morality, and she did not repent. God gave them time to repent. Aren't you guys glad that he gives you time? <laughs> Some of you are like, okay, Lord, just a little more time. Right here, right now, I'm going to get right. God is perfectly patient. No one knows how long he will put up with our wrongs. But he is long-suffering, and he does give us time to repent to discover and immediately deal with doctrines of demons and to handle those Jezebels. You know, God gives us time. To be honest, I, I know some of you here, you're like, I'll never be one of those parents who looks at their kid and says, okay, Johnny, stop it. Johnny, stop it. I'm going to count to three. Johnny, one, two, three. Johnny, stop it. You're like, I would never be one of those parents, right? But in one sense, that's how God is. God is so long-suffering with us. God is so patient with us. But understand, eventually, uh, the time runs out. There is a time when God says, like he said in Genesis 6-3, My spirit shall not strive with man forever. God informs and he warns. And so he wants them to hear and fear. And even though they had gone so far he wants them now to draw near what he tells them is to get right get right church or you're going to get left the other day it was kind of funny i forgot where i went and i came back in i think my my son he said hey dad mom thought you got raptured and i said well if i get raptured aren't you guys supposed to get raptured too <laughs> but you know um I don't know. Some people say, well, when the rapture of the church comes, um, every every believer goes. Every believer is raptured. And, you know, that's probably true. But there are many who believe that if you're not right in your walk with God, that you're going to get left behind. I'm not talking about perfect, but I'm talking about proper. That you're walking, like it says in Genesis chapter 5, about Enoch, who is a picture of of the rapture of the church, it says he walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Are you, Christian, are you walking with God? Fellowship with him, listening to his voice, spending time with him, loving him, trying to follow him? That's what God wants from us. Because if not, notice what we read in verse 22. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your works. If she and her followers kept sleeping around, Jesus warned and informed them that he would cast them into that sick bed. And the place of pleasure would become a place of pain. And there in this bed that they put before God and they idolized, 
they would be paralyzed. Not just tribulation, but great tribulation. And as we go through, and we're going to continue to go through the book of Revelation, we're going to have uh, someone come up and teach on the rapture as we go through here. We're going to also have someone come up and teach on the great tribulation. Because that, that, that's the time period, and we're right about there. I, I mean, we don't know for sure, but man, the rapture can happen, and after that rapture happens, it can happen at any moment now. Seven years of tribulation. It's the great tribulation, especially the last three and a half years. Believe you me, you don't want to be left behind. As a matter of fact, there's a very scary passage in Second Thessalonians chapter 2 that if you heard the truth now and you don't believe, then after the rapture, you won't be able to. God will send forth the spirit of blindness. That's why it's important to understand, just in case there's anyone here who has not yet fully surrendered their heart to Jesus, that today is the day of salvation. Give him your heart today. It's interesting to note that the Catholic Church teaches that they will go through the tribulation period. Here we see that her children would die and the churches would see that God sees. You know, Revelation 2, verse 23 in the New Living Translation, it says, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person. And I will give to each of you whatever you deserve. For some, it's tribulation. For others, it's damnation. And you're like, Manny, you, you went there again. Well, like I said, if I didn't tell you about the lion, I'd, I'd be lying to you. We have to understand who Jesus really is. If your version of Jesus is just the lamb, then your version of Jesus is heretical. He is the lion and the lamb. I, I was recently, uh, my wife told me about a, a testimony of uh, Dr. Vanessa Allen. I don't know if you've heard of her or not, but she serves as professor of women's ministry and uh, does a lot of things and located primarily in Houston, Texas. But she grew up in the church. She grew up in the church and uh, she, uh, she said that whenever she would go to church, she would fall asleep during the sermon. And so, uh, I don't know, somehow she made it through. God bless you. Somehow she made it through uh, to where she actually, even though she slept during the sermons, she got involved in ministry. She eventually began to teach. Think about that. But um, God began to convict her and God began to deal with her. And eventually what happened was one day during the sermon, she didn't sleep. She paid attention. She was able to be awake throughout the service. And she heard the gospel. It just became clear to her that, you know, Jesus died for my sins and he rose again. That I have to believe in him as the Lord and Savior of my life. And she said that that day she gave her life to Christ. And so what ended up happening was uh, 
after she gave her life to Christ, uh, she her parents had raised her in the mentality. It's kind of interesting. I don't think you guys would do this as parents. But they told her, hey, it's, I don't care what you do on Saturday. Sunday, you got to be in church. And so uh, that Saturday, after she had received the Lord, she went to a, a, a club. And as they were there and the music's, you know, playing loud, she was listening to the lyrics. And the lyrics, she said, were, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. And so she turned to her friend and she said, do you hear what they're saying? And her friend said, they're not saying that. And so she's listening. She's all, yes, they are. <laughs> and, and the Lord allowed her to hear that. And she said she left the club right there and then, never to go back and to give her life fully and completely to Jesus Christ. You know, because sometimes, you know, God needs to scare that out of us, right? And so um, what the Lord is saying here is, listen, you guys, you need to get right or you're going to get left. Notice what we read in verse 24. He says, Now to you I say unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. And so here we see behind Jezebel is the this one called Satan. He's kind of like Jezebel's pimp, right? And what we find right here is the depths of Satan. They actually refer to this cultic Babylonian religion that we're going to see later on in Revelation uh, 17 and 18. And so he says, there's, there's this church, you guys, a lot of you in that Catholic church, and even in our church, you're, you're, you're doing well, but you need to get rid of the idols. You need to get rid of the sexual immorality, uh, that type of adultery. But to the rest of you, and there are some, huh? You guys know in the Catholic Church, they don't bow down to idols. They believe in Jesus. And so he says to the rest of you, I don't give any greater burden. Now, it's interesting because the Catholic Church does give a lot of burdens, they teach that you're saved not only by faith, but also by works and also by those sacraments and also by the church. And you have to go and do all these things. And the Lord says, no, to the rest of you, no greater burden. You know, and it's interesting in Acts chapter 15, when they were kind of like refining the gospel, uh, those were the two things they told the Gentiles. Stay away from sexual immorality and adultery, uh, idolatry. And so same thing we see there. He says there, hold fast, hold tight to what you have. In other words, rest there, remain there. First Thessalonians 5.21 says, hold fast what is good. It's interesting, even here he says, till I come. This is the first time Jesus mentions his return in the letters of Revelation. And then he gives the covenant with the overcomers in verse 26. And he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes... Um, have you ever uh, played a game 
Um, it could be a card game. It could be a whatever, an athletic game. And have you ever won? Any of you guys ever won? Right? That's what he's saying. Have you ever lost? What's going to happen in, in this one? Will we overcome? You know, he who overcomes, he says, I'm going to give power over the nations. And to me, it's interesting because this was Jezebel's whole goal. Ahab and Jezebel united in marriage to increase their power by merging countries and joining religions. And that was kind of like what they always wanted, that power. And the Lord says, if you overcome, one day you'll, in one sense, rule with a, a, a rod of iron. The Bible talks about how we're going to rule in the millennial kingdom, how we're going to rule over angels, and even in heaven, how we'll rule and reign with Jesus Christ. And so he says, hey, if you overcome these things, you overcome the sexual immorality, you overcome the spiritual idolatry and adultery, you overcome that, then you're going to rule and reign with me? And then second, he talks about that you'll receive the morning star. Now, in Revelation 22.16, the morning star is in reference to Jesus. And so we've talked about this, how um, that's probably, you know, to me, if that's what the morning star is in reference to, then I'm good with that. But it might be more than that, because I think that no matter who you are as a Christian, when we're in heaven, kind of like Lisa said, I just want to go home and be with Jesus. Like, we're all going to re receive Jesus. So I think this is more. The morning star. What are you talking about, Manny? What's the morning star? Well, there's a neat cross-reference in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3. It says, Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Who knows, maybe if you're struggling with this and today you say no more sexual sin, no more lust, no more idols, that today I went to church and it was hot and there were bugs and things flying and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and God got a hold of my heart. You know, you got these guys that are bad. They're, they're kneeling down for, for Black Lives Matter. I, I was so blessed uh, by the, the, the player from the Orlando Magic uh, forward, Jonathan Isaac. And his reasoning, he's a, up to that point, he was the only player that didn't bow down to Black Lives Matter. And they interviewed him. He's a, he's a believer. He's a minister. And he said, you know, um, Black Lives Matter, I, I mean, Black Lives Matter, but the organization, he said, that's not going to help the black people. You know what he said? Jesus will. Jesus will. The gospel will. And so he didn't wear the T-shirt and he didn't bow his knees. But he did bow his knee to Jesus. And that's what we need to do when we do it's so cool we're going to shine like the morning star jesus said in matthew thirteen forty three, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father and so i don't know heaven is going to be so amazing 
But imagine, you know, if I saw one of you guys there and I'm like, man, they're so bright. They're shining so bright. And we'll know, oh, uh, they receive the morning star. Something about them that's different. One last thing before we leave that. The morning star is also, in when you look at uh, the scriptures and when you look at history, is also in reference to Lucifer. And in history, believe it or not, it's in reference to Mary. Those are the false morning stars. But when you look at the true morning star, it's in reference to Jesus. And throughout church history, is interesting. There's this guy named Wycliffe, Bible translator, who was burned at the stake. Um, he's kind of an example of how we can have the reflection of Jesus in order to be able to shine for him. And so uh, prayerfully, we have that heart. Um, a lot more here, you guys. It's crazy how the Bible is so deep. We'll never touch the bottom. But I just pray in closing, as we're going through these different churches, that we would not leave our first love, that we would return, that that we would be willing to suffer like Smyrna, that we wouldn't compromise like Pergamos, and that we would not allow any other idol to make us corrupt like Thyatira. And you know what? Don't be ashamed to share with your Catholic friends the things that we're talking about today. Because I think a lot of times, and sometimes I hear it on Christian radio and stuff, they're like, yeah, nothing wrong with the Catholic Church. Yeah, there is. There is a lot. And so we need to share with them. Lord, I, I thank you for loving us the way that you do, Lord. I thank you for these people so patient, even in the heat, um, to hear your word. Lord, I pray for them. I pray for me, God, that there would be no idols. And that, Lord, sexual temptation or the temptation to put things before you, those are huge. The, the doctrine of Jezebel is so alive today. So help us, Lord, to overcome. I pray, Lord, that you bless your people and that you put a hunger and thirst in them for you. We love you. Thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together. May the Lord bless you. May you have a wonderful week. I'm so proud of you guys who came out early to beat the heat. If you're here, just in case, and you need prayer in any way, we'll hang out up here in the front, and we would love to pray with you. Okay? God bless.